Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the world's greatest boxing podcast, I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, the boxing scholar himself, Joel Ilier. Joel, how are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm all right. Well, it's just taken us about half an hour to get these technical difficulties sorted, so uh, I've been better. Sweating slightly profusely in your in your flat under intense pressure to get it sorted, but we've done it. <laughs> we've I done think it. We're here. It. Yeah. So we're going to talk about our lovely night at the York Hall on Friday for the uh, boxer card, and uh, so me myself, uh, me myself, and I, and Irene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One of them days. Me, Joel, and uh, Martin, one of Joel's uh, good mates, we uh, met up for a beer in Bethnal Green beforehand. And then we arrived just in time for Aaron McKenna against Isma Lima. And I have to say, this is my first time at the York Hall. And what a privilege it was to my first ever fight to watch that because that was a cracker and that was a war. I didn't realise that was your first time at your call. Man. It was, right. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That was a good night for it, then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a crack card. That was an unexpected one as well. We always said we we're speaking about it before the fight, weren't we? When yeah. you when you go your call, there's always one or two that surprise you, and that that was the one. Yeah, I yeah. think that that was uh, yeah, that was a fully committed fight by them two. They went to war. Yeah, that was the best fight I think of of the night. And uh, one thing I have to say is that. You know, Aaron McKenna has a really big Irish following. They were really getting into it, weren't they, Joel? The middle section at the back. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't think that they were. Uh, they had his best interests at heart. All the same, you know, <laughs> Joker's after that fight, he was out there all night, and they were demanding every second from him. And the fella's face was swelled up like anything. Yeah, they didn't have no ice on that, no nothing. They were yeah. pulling him about. They were yeah. taking his belt off him. Yeah, they were making him pose for this and that. I thought, poor bloke. But yeah, good, he must good have, on him. Yeah, he must have the patience of a saint to you know give that amount of time to his fans afterwards. Clearly, he must have been in a lot of pain, or he's oh. just very good at hiding it um so yeah congratulations to those two for putting on an absolutely stellar fight and uh you know the stars align for me surely a great first fight for me to watch at the you know well-renowned york hall now we've got to talk about two other fights so caroline dubois took on yanina lascano and she won that very convincingly on points it was a wide points decision i think maybe the uh, lascano maybe only got one round or there was one round that was drawn we we sort of were universally of the view that we weren't hugely impressed i mean i do like caroline dubois in the sense that you know she can bang she did put lascano down at one point as well with i think it was like a straight left or left hook type shot and, uh, you know, she she clearly can bang. She can also box as well. But I do think she, I, I said it to you, I think she's got that sort of Michael Conlon habit of when she comes in, does the body work, when she's doing the body work, her hands are sort of nowhere near her face. And she did get caught quite a few times. In that yeah, she got, she got tagged a lot. She didn't look like she was too concerned about what was coming back at her. But if she keeps them habits when she steps it up, she'll be in real trouble. Yeah. And I think that it's undoubtable now that she hasn't shown the form that she did in the youths. Yes, yeah. And, and that was a few years ago now. You know, she went to the Olympics. She underwhelmed at the Olympics. Big disappointment. Yeah. She's turned pro. She's really going for it. But she, for me, hasn't shown the sort of form that led to Mike Costello to yeah. say that he was, she was the best talent he's ever seen in the female game. And I, I just think, well, to me, it looks like there's better talent in her gym in Ellie Scottney. How can you question Mike Costello, mate? He'd question me. <laughs> <laughs> I think this might be one of those pop fights where, you know, all the all the good fighters have them, you just it's a you know, you get the job done. 
That's it, really. Yeah, I'm just saying that I haven't seen uh, anything exceptional in her, to be honest, um, for for yeah. her professional career. Yeah, I, I'm not. I think the hype may be a little bit too much. I'm, I'm not saying that she's not going to be a very good pro. Yeah. But all this talk of her completely dominating the female game, I think, is way, way off. It's interesting as well because the McGuigans, who we really respect, and obviously she's a part of their stable. I mean, they're really high on her. Shane, especially. I mean, he's literally like just you know. But but they're the people that you just can't listen to at all because, mm. as you say, she's part of their stable. Yeah. So we need yeah. to go outside of that to try and try and get the opinion on her. Let's talk about Fraser Clark because uh, he took on Marius Vac, the journeyman Marius Vac. He's been around a long time, and he won uh, uh, again another wide points decision in that. Now it was interesting in this one because I think after the first two rounds I said this is Vac just looks like he's totally not interested. It's just one way traffic. I said if Clark's got anything about him he should stop him. And then I don't know after about four or five rounds Vac really started to come into it. And there were a couple of rounds where I was really tired at one point. I had to sit down. You and Martin were still stood up. There was that one uh shot he landed and uh, I don't know it was round seven or eight and I just looked at you and you looked at me and we were a bit like "Ooh, yes. <laughs> this one's getting really interesting well it turned out a whack could whack mate yes oh, it, you I've been working that on that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad I remembered that oh um, gosh no it, I, I think that actually if there hadn't been the whole cancelled Wardley purse bid and yeah. all of that, th- this fight would maybe be looked at a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, and also if the Azim fight hadn't been cancelled and this wasn't bumped up to the top of the bill, this was exactly what Fraser Clark needed. Yeah. He was given rounds. It became quite tough as the rounds went on. Wack is extremely experienced. So what do you want? What's, what was this? His eighth fight? Yeah, well, maybe seventh, I think. Seventh Wasn't he fight? six and oh coming right. in? Yeah. Okay, this is just good. He had to work for the win in the end. Mm. Uh, it, okay, didn't stop the guy, but he landed some good punches as it went on. Obviously, he was getting caught, but this is the sort of rounds that you need. When Ben Shalom, to our criticism, was saying, well, he needs to do sort of 10 rounds or yeah. has have a 12 round or whatever before he goes into the Wardley fight. Yeah. That's what we want. We just want him having a, a little bit of experience at, yeah. at, at, at the 12 round distance. Yeah. Well, this was the sort of fight he was talking about. And he's a fight where he's actually going to take something back. He's got to work for it a bit and he'll be a bit tired. I mean, in retrospect, maybe Shalom was right to pull him out in the sense that the sort of middle to late rounds, I thought he gassed a bit mm. and he looked and he was getting hit a fair bit and it looked a bit like oh you know so maybe he does need that you know you just need to get used to the you know 10 rounders the longer distance and yeah well he also he, he gassed a little bit as you say in the middle to late rounds but he also then sort of had quite a big 12th round he did so yeah, he yeah. knows sorry not 12 10th round yeah so he knows that at the end of the fight he can step up it would have given him a bit of confidence in his stamina so no, I, I thought that was what he needed I thought it was quite quite a good bout for him yeah Right, let's talk about uh, a couple of fights. We didn't preview because they weren't particularly interesting on paper, but the results actually uh, bore some uh, bore some significance and a few things we're going to chat about here. So Regis Progre took on uh, Danielito Zarilla, and this was a fight that Progre was really expected to win very, very comfortably. However, it turned out to be anything but. He won a split decision. I, w- I didn't watch the fight live, but I watched it this morning, and... Prograde, like I say, just never got into the fight. I wasn't, it wasn't of the view that he fought terribly. Zarilla really, uh, there, there is an element of truth to what Eddie Hearn said about Zarilla afterwards, which is that he was just, you know, essentially running. He was very much on the back foot and Prograde just wasn't able to cut the ring uh, effectively. 
and uh, you know really land his his shots. He was really frustrated. I didn't think his form or his technique or anything like that went, went particularly. It was just one of them nights where I think he, he was fighting someone with the. You know, they say styles make fights. Uh, Zarilla had a style that was probably all wrong for for Regis Progre. He got the uh, win, which was a split decision victory. But um, a couple of things. So the scorecards for this were pretty all over the place. So I certainly can't remember which judges called it, but we basically had a score of 118-109 for Regis Progre, which is just outrageous. When I watched the fight, I had Progre winning by one or two rounds. I don't know who scored it 118-109 for Regis Progre, but you clearly weren't watching the fight. That was very much a hometown decision uh, score. You had it uh, another one, which was 117-110 for Progre. Again, just ridiculous. And then you had the the score, which was 114-113 for Zorilla, which, you know, again, in fights like that, I can certainly understand that, but I did think that Progre nicked it. Scoring in boxing is such a big issue when you get scores like that, which are just completely way off. Um, the other thing which was interesting, which I have to mention, was that the um, pro grade definitely went down towards the end of the first round from, a, I think it was a clean left hand by Zarilla, but the referee didn't call it, he called it a slip, and it was a clean shot. And, um, you know, again, it's not going to change the the trajectory of the fight, but I do wonder sometimes whether, you know, whether it's the judge, the referee, they're just not really paying proper attention and giving the fight their full attention. Well, so it's it's this aspect of, of the adjudicating of fights that I think is actually a slightly bigger problem in boxing than the scoring. Yeah. Now, what I mean by that is that the scoring, I think it's really difficult to do something about it. Uh, it's it's a subjective sport. Mm. We have a system in place yeah. which is imperfect, but I personally can't really think of a, a better way of doing things other than increasing the amount of judges yeah. to aggregate out the scoring a little bit better. Yes, but yeah. then, you know, it's a cost and it means that it's it's different for different levels of the sport, which I'm, you know, obviously you can't do that as sort of small York Hall bills, you can't have yeah. five, six, seven judges and all this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, and we, and we want to keep things as equal as possible. But... When it comes to um, big fights like this, and again, actually, is keeping things unequal, but why haven't we got um, video refereeing yeah. in fights like this? Something like that that's clear, you know, is something a knockdown? The referees missed it. Well, that's a that could be if if Progray has sort of nicked around mm. according to the judges. Yeah, but actually, in reality, he should have received a knockdown in that. Round that is a three point swing yeah. going on in that in that round, yeah. and that's huge in a boxing match. Yeah, so stuff like that, I think that it's reasonably easy to sort. We saw an incident which we're going to talk about late, later on, which you know really uh, with a bit of re- re- referees um, intervention, video intervention mm. could have been handled differently as well. Yeah, so I, th- I think that there's stuff we can do here in in fight in fights at this level. On big cards in America, big cards in print, why can't we have video refereeing like we're doing a Premier League in football now? No, I totally agree with you. That's a really, really good point. One other thing I just want to bring up on this fight was that there, you know, there's talk of obviously whether Regis Progray may take on Devin Haney. I think if Haney Haney will need to move up though, won't he? Hmm. That's what he was talking about after his last fight, wasn't he? But I don't think he will. Yeah. The, I mean, based on this fight, I mean, you know, Devin Haney is a you know, a level or 10 above Zarilla and mm. Regis Progre really struggled. I mean, that's, I just think that's not a fight Progre really wants to take. Um, no, Pro, Progre's um, 34 now, isn't he, Joe? Yeah, yeah, he's like, getting he's, on now. He's getting on, like, so he needs big fights if he's going to do it. But as you say, he's not, you know, when he comes to fighting a talent like Haney. Yeah. I don't know, mate. 
No, I don't think so either. No, I think you should steer clear. Yeah. Right, so there was another fight where our boy Tim Zhu took on Carlos Acampa, and boy, did he put his stamp on this one. He absolutely obliterated Acampa in the first round, just just viciously went for it and absolutely poleaxed him. Oh, he's so good, isn't he? Yeah. He's like, looking he's, like the real deal. He is, but the thing that I, I think is, is brilliant about this is that Tim Zhu seems to have the same killer thing that Jamel Charlo has. Yeah. And they're the two standouts that lie middle. These two, they seem to want to fight each other too. Yeah. I think Tim Zhu against Jamel Charlo could easily be the fight. It's two guys whose styles are made for each other. It's going to be high level. In their absolute primes. Exactly. And also it's, you know, it's a fight where, you know, the challenger, it's a 50-50 fight, I think now. And I know a lot of people who's, again, whose opinions I respect on Twitter are saying, listen, Tim Zhu is the real deal, boy. Mate, do you know what I actually found most impressive in this fight? I'm going to sound like such a fucking (laughs) hipster boxing fan here. In a fight that Tim Zhu went out and ironed out the other fella in Mm. something like 72 seconds, I think it was. He didn't take a punch, mate, and the other fella threw threw a few. Now, what I'm saying is he went into killer mode and he still was so aware of what was coming back back at him. His defence was absolutely exceptional in a fight that he was a killer, just top marks. He, he couldn't have fought better than that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Tim Zhu is definitely going places, but we need to see Tim Zhu, Jamel Charlo. Obviously, it was a fight that was made previously before it was called off due to uh, Charlo being injured. So hopefully that one gets made soon. It's necessary for boxing. Oh, it's a must, mate. But, mate, did you see the um, photos that emerged of the dog bite that he got in the lead-up to the fight? Because we covered the dog bite a couple of weeks ago. Was it Charlo the, who got the dog bite? No, 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 oh, it was Tim Zoo. Oh, was it rough? Yeah, he. so he got bitten by a dog about three weeks ago. Yes. Only three weeks ago. His, yeah. mate, his mate was having a barbecue or something, <laughs> right? And he, he got bitten, it was a pit bull. Yeah. He's bitten his arm. He released the photo this week of the bite. It was horrific. Ugh. I can't believe, he's had surgery on it. And then three weeks later, he's come into a fight like that and performed like that. This guy is something else, man. Serious. I'm going to have to check that one out. So thanks for bringing that to my attention. Don't check it out while you're eating, mate. Who let the dogs out? (laughs) Zoo! 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 (laughs) (laughs) That was classic. (laughs) We didn't... Right, let's talk about the news. So uh, let's start off with this piece. So Badu Jack claims that Canelo Alvarez offered him a fight for his cruiserweight belt at £180. And with a rehydration clause on top. So basically uh, a catch weight below the cruiserweight uh, limit and obviously with a rehydration clause, which means that Bello Jack could only put on a certain amount of weight uh, after the weigh-in again. Um, Joel, what's your thoughts on this? Mate, this is an example of the damage that belts do to the sport, mate. Yeah. He has no business going in the ring with this guy. Jack is nearly 40 years old. Yeah. He's picked six or seven years ago, 30 pounds lighter. Yeah. Right? What on earth would Canelo Alvarez, one of the biggest names in the sport, be doing fighting Jack up at cruiserweight if it wasn't for the fact that he's got some ridiculous, worthless belt around his waist at the moment? Yeah. You know, this is the damage it does, as I say. It, it's not a fight that should even be spoken of, mm. um, let alone an offer has actually gone out to Jack. This is Canelo Alvarez's preferred opponent for his next fight. Yeah. That is 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 wrong, and and I'm all against it, and I, would, I wouldn't even stream this one, mate. Mm. I haven't uh, fact-checked this, but I saw some stuff doing the rounds on social media that um, allegedly in Canelo's, I think, last four fights, rehydration clauses have been put in a... F- in place for all his opponents really does that diminish 
how you see him because it looks like he's really trying to eke out every little advantage he can. Look, it's always been a part of the sport. Going back to Sugar Ray Leonard, he he was trying to get every advantage against Marvin Hagler, yeah. rehydration clauses and all, all sorts against him. Yeah. Um, a 12-round distance, for instance, when it was the 15-round era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the A-sides in the sport, they do, but it absolutely does. I think it takes away from Sugar Ray Leonard's win over Marvin Hagler. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that it takes away from what Canelo Alvarez is doing. And the difference is that Canelo Alvarez does it against everyone and against fighters that he's a prohibitive favourite against anyway. Yeah. So he's doing this as far as he has every advantage of, and he's also trying to get this extra, extra little bit. He's like the Jose Mourinho of boxing, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he is, isn't he? (laughs) Right, here's some good news. Freddie Roach has got married at his wildcard gym in Los Angeles. We saw photos doing the rounds online of him in the boxing ring with his his wife, you know. Um, Great. Brilliant. Fair play, Freddie Roach. Would you get married in a boxing gym, Joel? If I could get away with it, yeah, I would, mate. Yeah, yeah damn right I would. Absolutely. Um, um, I, I, I think that's that's lovely, actually. And I love the fact that he just went, he was wearing he his wild card t-shirt as well in the ring. He, he just didn't get didn't dressed for the suit. occasion. He didn't have a suit on, <laughs> didn't get dressed for the occasion. He was just in the ring in the sweat box and yeah. the, at the wild card. It does bring me to think, I doubt you know this, Joe. My mum and my <laughs> what dad. What are you trying to say? <laughs> No, 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 you haven't, you, let me finish, mate, let me I'm finish. I'm a boxing scholar I'm, like you. No, you, you don't know about my family like I do. Right. I was about to go into a little family, familial a- anecdote. Sounds good. My mum and my dad got married at Islet and Tarnall. Yeah. And they didn't have guests, they had a couple of witnesses. Yeah. And then they went for a fry-up at the calf afterwards at the oh, Greasy lovely. Spoon opposite. And then, I can't remember which one of them, but one of them then went back to work in the afternoon. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Jesus Christ. You know I, mean? I, wonder, I wonder why I didn't last. I'll <laughs> <laughs> well, take these things seriously. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, so here's another news story for you. Tiafimo Lopez against Josh Taylor peaked at just under 1 million viewers on ESPN in America. This was the biggest boxing viewership of the year in the States. Joel, what what you got to say about that? I've got to say that Lopez is clearly uh, becoming quite a draw over yes. in the US, mate. And they, I, I thought it was a bit disappointing that they didn't have their fight in the big stadium at, at Madison Square Garden. They had it in the basement, you yeah. know, in the ballroom, I think they call it, at yeah. Madison Square Garden. It probably could have got in the big room by the looks of this, and I, I just think it, it's um, yeah, it's a it's a good sign at, at what Lopez could become. Yeah, maybe. I mean, this is probably even more proof that if you play the bad guy in boxing, people yeah. just they love you know they love to hate. They want to see you lose. Very true. Um, so yeah, no, he's uh, if he is doing that for more clever reasons than I give him credit for, then it's obviously working. Fair play. Right, let's do our Kinnahan of the week. Joe, I'm going to let you pick this one because it's uh, something that's taken from our uh, attendance at York Hall on Friday. So I am picking uh, Vidal Riley for his low blow antics in the Taj fight at York Hall on Friday. Um, This was the dark arts of boxing at its finest, mate. So uh, Riley... 
went out there, Vidal Riley and Taj, they'd, they'd had a first fight a few months ago. Yeah. And uh, Taj had hurt Riley at a point in that fight. Riley had started fast, then Taj had hurt him. Yeah. And then it ended up getting stopped stopped on cuts and Vidal Riley won the fight. And this yeah. fight was kind of going the same way. Riley went out there. He was fighting like a bit of a lunatic, I yeah. thought. He was fighting really recklessly. I think I turned to you at one point and said, Riley's fighting like a bit of a muggy. Yeah. He was just throwing haymaker after haymaker and you just can't do that forever. And Taj was just soaking it up. I just have to say, though, I mean, in defence of Vidal Riley there, he was landing a lot of shots, to be he, fair. He was. He was landing a bit. It was like he's learned nothing from their first yeah, fight, I'd where he was doing well. the same yeah. thing, and then Taj just soaked it up, yeah. and then he'd come back and he, he hurt Riley. Yeah. And basically, exactly the same thing happened. So Riley was doing that, landing bomb after bomb. Taj, God knows how he's standing up for him. To what him. chin. But he was, yeah. Serious <laughs> chin on the fella. Yeah. And then in the fourth round... Taj suddenly landed on Riley and Riley was just doing the old moon dance and he was going backwards. Yeah. And he was hurt. He was really hurt. And then Riley just unloaded a huge uppercut, um, really low on yeah. Taj, stopped the fight. Referee rightly called it a, a low blow. Yeah. And Taj was given time to recover, but obviously it was Riley that was actually getting the time to recover here. Yeah. And Vidal then went out. That, Knock the absolute stuffing out of Taj. Yeah. Riley goes out, unloads on the guy straight away and finished him off. It was really cynical stuff and yeah. it was unfair and it was the sort of stuff you just don't like to see in boxing. Um, and also the weirder thing about it, I haven't seen any mention of it in any of the stuff after the fight. I didn't, I rewatched the fight on Sky Sports. They didn't go into it and I just think it's really unfair on Taj. Yeah, because we said at the time, He's done that on purpose. Oh, without that, a shadow of a doubt. That was because he was having a really, he was having a rough round. He's done that on purpose. He's bought himself time. It is really cynical. And like you say, you know, Taj probably didn't take enough time to sort himself out. And maybe he wouldn't have had enough time anyway, because that must really hurt. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. We're not shot with full power from Vidal Riley. It was a, it, bang. Yeah, it was a haymaker not shot. He yeah. absolutely put everything into it. Exactly. And knew exactly what he was doing and knew that Taj wasn't going to be able to defend a shot that low. Yeah, and like you say, within uh, you know a minute of, of the ref calling them back to fight, Vidal Riley just blasted him out of there. Yeah, he was it, did, finished. it didn't only like win him the round or sort of win him the fight, should I say. It actually stopped him losing the fight, possibly. Yeah, definitely. So it was, you know... Well, I mean, I, I got, you, you've got to think that he probably he should. Re I mean, that's the sort of fight he should win, but definitely he shouldn't be winning fights in that sort of cynical, dirty manner because it was well, it was bang out of order. It was obvious what he'd done, well, he, and he you know, got himself in trouble mm. with his start. He could have won that fight quite easily if he had. Um, if he'd boxed him and yeah. been a little bit more, uh, if he could served himself a little bit, the fight he didn't, he was just landed, he was just throwing haymaker after haymaker. He got himself in trouble yeah. and he had to get out of it. And it yeah. was, you know, yeah, not good, not good. Well, I'm going to throw in another one for measure here, but we had quite a few <laughs> candidates this week. But um, I want to uh, throw in John Fury for a couple of reasons because he is just an absolute twat and he is probably one of the biggest idiots and just awful human beings in in boxing i'm starting to think he's almost on a par with daniel kinnahan himself he's, he's awful hell. don't hold back there Joe. <laughs> yeah so he said the following about alexander usik and after i mean this is something that's um 
a bit of a pattern from the Fury family. They're actually a bit racist, let's be honest. So he said this about Usyk. He's trying to turn the public against Tyson Fury, which they've done a good job of because the public's daft anyway. No, mate, your son's done a good job of turning the public against himself because he's an idiot, a bit like you. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Then he said this, look what wonders he's done for this country, that's Tyson, and look how quickly they turn and support a total foreigner. And you know, Tyson Fury has also referred to him as this, you know, foreigner, an unknown foreigner, a nobody foreigner. Um, I just can't stand John Fury. Imagine having him as a dad. No wonder Tyson Fury's so fucked up and, you know, had mental health problems. You would do, wouldn't you, with a parent like that? You would. Let's be I, honest. I, I, I don't want to say nothing. No, well, I'm <laughs> saying it because I'm not, I'm happy to to, to go on and go in on this fall. Um, the other thing that he did, which I'm not, you know, this is probably more of a minor thing compared to some of the stuff he's come out with before. But um, he did a, an interview, which I don't know, some boxing channel, and he was basically threatening to, to smack Eddie Hearn. He is such an attention-seeking buffoon. It's it's untrue. He also was slagging off uh, Sugar Hill, saying, what's he actually done? And he was sort of trying to say, look how bad Lawrence O'Coley's fought. I'm starting yeah, to think he's angling for the top job no, of trainer himself. Well, what he's always done with Fury's trainers is, is criticise them and basically uh, with the uh, insinuation that Fury is as good as he is because of Big John Fury as opposed to the trainers that he works with. So, I mean, he always comes in and absolutely slates uh, Fury's yeah. trainers, whoever they are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he he just, other than being a total moron, he's such a bully. I'd love to see someone just clock him and put him in his place because he's ripe for it. I mean, he's an old man. He, he can't, he, I doubt he, he can fight back now. I, I seem to remember a couple of years ago, he, he, he kept popping up on my YouTube feed in some sort of feud with some sort of other traveller bloke or something there was something going on where they were yeah. talking about having some fight and I did think oh they might actually do it he might get clocked here who hasn't uh, he had a feud with I mean this is someone true. who just seems to create feuds where there are no feuds he'd, he'd, have, a, he'd have a feud with Princess Diana do you know what I mean oh god so I'm also going to uh, share that Kinnan of the week with uh, John Fury who is an absolute bonk so there we go right Magazine lottery time. So last week I pulled out an edition of Boxing News dated the 9th of September 2010. And on the front cover we had a Ricky Burns, I believe, against, uh, was it Lopez or who, whoever he won his first world title that against? Was Martinez, that was. Martinez, yeah. And we also had uh, David Hay and Audley Harrison on the front. But anyway, none of those are the uh, feature of my my little piece here because in the preview section... The uh, we had a little piece on Yuriorkis um, Gamboa's upcoming fight against Orlando Salido, mm. and it got me to thinking. As you would oh, say, did it, Joe? Joe? It, did. <laughs> it got me to thinking about Yuriorkis Gamboa because he was a fighter I quite liked uh, years ago, and uh, I think I thought to myself, why don't I do a little piece on him? So uh, here goes Yuriorkis um, Gamboa. Born on December the 23rd, 1981 in Guantanamo, Cuba. Now 41, he's still active and he has a solid record of 35 fights, 30 wins, 18 by way of knockout and 5 losses. Now, Yuri Orcus Gamboa was an absolutely stellar amateur like much, you know, most of the Cubans who turn pro tend to be. Mm. I'm just going to list some of his accomplishments. So he was a four-time Cuban national champion, uh, 2003 Pan American Games gold medalist, 
2004 Olympic gold medalist in the featherweight division. So he was an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, after that, he won the 2005 World Amateur Boxing Championships. Uh, oh, I know, actually, he got a bronze medal in those. Uh, he got a bronze medal in the 2006 Central American and Caribbean Games, and then he was a 2006 World Cup uh, gold medalist. So... Like many Cuban boxers, he t- he defected from Cuba to turn professional, and he did so with another highly rated amateur at the mm. time, who I'm going to talk about briefly at the end, and that was a certain heavyweight by the name of Odlanir Solis. So, Gambo's professional debut took place in 2007 in Germany, and he moved up in weight classes throughout his career. He started off in the featherweight division, moved up to super feather, and basically finished in the lightweight division. Now... His his style was really it was a really fan friendly style because he was known for his sort of exceptional speed, his athleticism. I mean, he had explosive, quick punching power, and this was unusual for a Cuban. Yes, yeah. I mean, he could throw you know really lightning quick combinations, mm. and he had that sort of elusive footwork. I wouldn't say he was defensively great because he was very hittable, and I'll touch on that uh, in a minute. So. Let's talk about some of his notable fights and achievements. So on the 17th of April 2009, he stopped Jose Rojas in the 10th round to win the interim WA, WBA uh, featherweight ball ball, as you would say. And then in October of that same year, he stopped Wyber Garcia in the fourth round to win the WBA title outright. He then had several fights against, you know, very notable opponents such as Orlando Salido, uh, which is the fight previewed in the in this edition of Boxing News, which I uh, unearthed last week. And this was a, a good little scrap, which uh, Gamboa won fairly comfortably by unanimous decision. Although, as was the story with kind of most of his career, he had some tough moments in that fight. It was a crazy um, fight, that one. Yeah, so it was a really good fight. He, I think Salido knocked down Gamboa in the eighth round of, of that fight, although... I think Gamboa returned the favour in the last round. He put Salido down twice, but he he was also docked up two points in that round, I think, for hitting, mm, hitting Salido when down. he was down. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So with that win, uh, he became the first Cuban boxer to hold the IBF title since their, that organisation's uh, inception. He then had notable wins against Jorge Solis and Daniel Ponce de Leon before... He moved up to lightweight, where he sadly encountered a peak Terence Crawford. Now, last week, Joel, you did a segment on fights where somebody's O had to go. And this was one of those fights, mate. It was. Both men coming in with perfect records of 23 and Oh. oh, I didn't realise that. They had the same record today. Exactly, because oh, I checked mad. it on BoxRec and I was like, bloody hell, that's, uh, that's interesting. So, nice I mean, bit of synergy, though. Yeah. What did you make of this fight? Because this was a bit Brilliant of a classic. Fight. Yeah, 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 it was absolutely... This is a kind of almost forgotten classic, this one. The level of boxing was so high, but they also just went to war. Yeah. Um, and he, he, caught, he caught Crawford quite a bit in the fight, but he got an absolute beating in the end, as I say. He didn't have the greatest defence in the world and Crawford just lasered that right hand on his chin so yeah. often in that fight, man. I mean, it was sort of... I thought Gamboa started off fairly well, you know, in mm. the first three, four rounds. He, you know, he did well. He had success. Yeah. But Terence Crawford's one of those fighters. He's very analytical. He's... Yeah. I hate that, you know, oh, downloading you're data. You're about to say it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it coming. 
but you could just tell. And then he was like, okay, from the probably from about the fifth round onwards, he's like, right, I've got you figured out. He did some great uh, chicken dances, didn't he? In that he one, he did. Gam- uh, poor Gamboa, classic so he, stuff. He was put down. I think Gamboa was put down in the fifth, eighth, and twice in the ninth before that was stopped. Now you also wanted to say something about uh, your Yorkist Gamboa and his proposed fight with who was it? Joel? It was Juanma Lopez. Now this for me is kind of the biggest theme in his career, really. Between um, about 2008, 2009 and 2011, mm. the biggest fight to be made in boxing at the lighter weights was Yorkoas Gamboa against Juanma Lopez. Yeah. They were both big names in the lighter weight division, both at featherweight at the same time. They were both boxing under the top rank banger yeah. and they should have fought. And if they had fought, mm. one of them would have become a superstar. Yeah. And neither of them did. And Bob Arum famously said at the time that he was not making the fight because he wanted to let the fight marinate. Oh, yeah. Was his words. <laughs> and he let that marinate too long and it ended up going a little bit rancid, mate. Yeah. Um, and it just, it, it was such a shame. It should have been a big one. It wasn't. And he didn't have, because uh, uh, what happened was is Lopez got beat by um, Orlando Salido. Yeah. So he'd, Gamboa had sort of struggled for the first time against Salido. Yeah. So the, the sort of theory was, well, we'll get Lopez in with Salido and he'll do a better job on him yeah. and it'll make the fight even bigger. Yeah. He's gone in there and instead he just gets absolutely ironed out by Salido. They tried to still make the fight, build up uh, Lopez a little bit to get the fight on again. Gave him three soft wins, stuck him back in with Salido got bloody ironed out again. That's that, all over and done with. And we missed out one of the possible great rivalries in boxing. Sadly for Bob Arum, the chicken went off, mate. <laughs> went past its sell-by date. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Shocking. Right. Um, after the Terence Crawford defeat, I think it's fair to say that uh, Gamboa became a bit of a journeyman, really. You know, his last three fights he's lost, albeit against stellar opposition so in 2019 or at the back end of 2019 he was stopped by Javonta Davis he did take a beating in that fight I mean he went down numerous times uh he was outpointed widely by Devin Haney in November 2020 and then he was again viciously beaten and stopped by Isaac Cruz uh I think in 2021 yes we we talk about it, don't we, often on the pod, that he's mm. in that stage of his career now where he's just getting eaten up by the game. Yeah. And he's yeah. just being fed to good fighters as opposition now. Yeah, yeah. And in that Isaac Cruz fight, uh, he was he went down again numerous times before the stoppage. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna ask you the question. So uh, I'm going to ask it, but I'm going to answer it, and then I want to hear what you think. So did his career live up to expectations? Now, my personal opinion is that he might have fell slightly short of what was expected of him as a pro, but he was a world champion. And one thing I have to say, and I'm giving massive credit for this, is that he did fight, in my opinion, some of the best available opposition, which is something we do expect from our fighters. And another thing, man, this guy was a warrior. He could take Mm. his licks and, you know, he often got up when he'd taken his licks. He refused to quit. So, you know, he was a fighter in the truest sense of the word, for me anyway, and that's why I really liked him. I don't know what you think, Joel. Yeah, so my answer to that would be no. Yeah. But I will also put an asterisk by that because I think there's a couple of things going on here is that the Cubans, whenever they defect, they could always do better than they do. Yeah. They've got the talent, they've got, but they come over to America, and let's face it, all of them are the same. They go out, they start partying, they get into partying, they get into women, they eat a huge amount of bloody food 
and they miss weight all the time. So he this he missed weight <laughs> so many times in his fights, and he ended up blowing up in weight when he didn't he shouldn't have had to. Yeah. Uh, but he was still so talented that he was still in great fights and could and could do it at top level. But no, he had the skill level that he could have been one of the very elite in the sport. Yeah. And he he didn't ever quite reach that yeah. in his biggest fights. He got beat and actually more often than not got stopped. Yeah, yeah. It must be that communist, you know, lifestyle. It's just brutal. Well, it is. So when you get, you know, <laughs> over to the land of plenty and you're getting paid a load of money, uh, then, yeah, I, I think uh, the Cubans find it hard to control themselves. Yes. Now, I'm going to digress slightly here because I mentioned earlier that Gamboa defected from Cuba to turn professional with a certain... Odlinia Solis, and I have to talk about him because unlike Gamboa, he was someone who really did disappoint as a professional. And he, you know, he is absolute living proof that an Olympic gold medal definitely doesn't translate to success in the professional ranks. Now, for those who don't know, um, Solis won the heavyweight gold medal at the 2004 Athens Olympics. And actually, his amateur credentials, like Gamboa's, were ridiculous. And Joe, who, who did he beat in the final of the uh, Worlds the year before that, man? Was it a certain David Hay it by was, any man. chance? It was, yes, yeah. He banged him out, knocked him out. Yeah, and Hay said he was mesmerised by him. Yeah. What a fighter. Um, so check out Solis's Wikipedia page to ch- just to see his uh, amateur uh, credentials, successes, gold medals, etc. Brilliant. Now, he amassed a, a decent record of 17-0 and 0 as a pro, beating the likes of Monte Barrett and Ray Austin before he took on Vitaly Klitschko for his WBC crown. Joel, do you remember this fight? I do remember this fight. Oh, gosh, what a, what a sad and ridiculously uh, silly, crazy ending this one was. So this one finished on a whimper with Solis basically injuring his knee at the end of round one and yeah. then being unable to continue. Now, he took a what I thought was a fairly weak-looking shot to the top of the temple before mm. he sort of stepped back and then it looked like he, he, his sort of knee kind of just gave way. And I remember at the time he got a lot of criticism um, with what many felt either was him faking the injury or possibly even coming into the bout with the injury and hiding it, wanting to get paid, essentially. That's what it looked like. He was in no position to be in that room. Yeah. Now, in his defence, that it was a legitimate injury. He did tear his cruciate ligament and uh, damaged his cartilage, and he did have a few surgeries um, uh, on his knee before he returned. But on his return, he was absolutely never the same. I mean, he was probably never even the same before he got to that point. Mm. One thing that really uh, struck me when doing this was that um, when he was fighting as an amateur in the heavyweight division, he was often around 200 pounds. But as a heavyweight, he was never really uh, uh, far off or below 250. This guy never really kept, looked after himself as a professional. You alluded to it. He, you know, he clearly wasn't taking the training seriously and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, sort of the nadir of his downfall came in 2015 when he lost two consecutive bouts to Tony Thompson, he of David Price fame. Um, The first fight was a close split decision uh, defeat, but the second one was a TKO loss. Basically, Solis retired in his corner after eight rounds. It was, you know, a real uh, whimper and sorry ending to, uh, you know, his his career. As Boxing News put it in their online piece about the fight afterwards with with this headline, the sorry tale of Odlanir Solis, the heavyweight who had the world at his feet. And I just thought it was really interesting because, yes, you had two Cuban professionals who'd had stellar, stellar amateur career 
careers. One of them had, to some degree, fulfilled their potential. But in the case of Odlanir Solis, this was someone who really, who really didn't. And you, you know, I'm sure he'll look back, you know, on his career with a lot of regrets. Yeah, I've, I've, I'll make you right on that, mate. I mean, he could, he could have done so much more, and he didn't. I don't think he made the money yeah. that Gamboa made as well. And he was the heavyweight. He was the one out of the two mm. that should have should have cleaned up. And also, he he was fighting in a kind of all time low for the yeah. heavyweight division. So he, if he just blooming kept his diet under control and trained, yeah, and dedicated himself to the game, he could have done really big stuff in a sport. So it's yeah, uh, yeah, real, real sort of tale of of missed opportunity, man. I wonder if he'll release a book one day about uh, you know the trials well, a, and tribulations, a, reci- a recipe book. <laughs> <laughs> we should offer ourselves to write it. <laughs> Right, so Joel, uh, you are going to pick a magazine for us. I've got Boxing News from 15th of June 2007, and it's a brilliant picture of our hero, the war hero, Miguel Cotto. Oh, yeah? Miguel Cotto thrills the garden. (laughs) One sec, what for? Oh, this is the uh, yeah, this is the uh, Zab Judah battle. Brilliant Ah, stuff. He stopped Judah, didn't he? He put a bit of a beating on him. He did in the end, but it was a good competitive fight before that. But he did. He stopped him in the eleventh. But I think that I'll actually probably just do it on Cotto's career, actually, because we've not we've not no, done we much on actually. Cotto. That's Cotto, a good one. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit no. of a, for someone that was kind of almost the sort of Canelo of the sport. He was he was the kind of one below Pacquiao and Mayweather, wasn't mm. he? He was the sort of yeah. He was the next biggest star in the sport for all them years. Yeah, and he's he's almost a forgotten man now. So yeah, let's do that. Cool. All right, well done, Joel. I really enjoyed that. So, uh, what you really enjoyed your your magazine lot of these? I did. I enjoyed my thanks, magazine. I enjoyed... Thanks for well done in me <laughs> on that. Joel. I really, really, thinking, <laughs> really appreciate that. I enjoyed Cheers. your company. <laughs> well done for listening quietly over there. <laughs> right, listeners. I hope you enjoyed our uh, most recent episode, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Joel, any last words? Uh, love you all, especially you, Dad. Oh, well done. Yes. I wish I could say the same, but I haven't had my dad in my life for about 20 odd years. <laughs> Sorry to rub it in. No. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, Mum. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, and on that note, goodbye. <laughs>